You're listening to US Gamer, and you've discovered the Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. With me today is Nadia Oxford. Hello, hello. Lovely as always. Uh, or so, I think. <laughs> and one <laughs> thing we will not be doing today is complaining about Persona 5's localization. We promise. I think everyone else has that, that route covered. I don't think it's that bad. I mean, it deserves criticism, but people are acting like it's the end of the world as usual. I, I don't know what it is with localizations of Japanese games and how they became so har- highly charged. But um, I think it's really uh, just the way social media is, because you probably remember, and I remember very well, how charged uh, it was, a topic it was, even in the 90s, when people just like had these, like, we hate Ted Woolsey fan clubs, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know what you mean, so... Some things never change. I, I felt like we were in a good place, right? Uh, I felt like things had kind of settled down in the 2000s, but it's back uh, with a vengeance. <laughs> we got a new generation of kids like complaining okay. about localizations. Only 90 kids, remember? <laughs> I'll defend you. Um, so yeah, uh, aside from our little introduction, um, we will be talking about Fire Emblem Shadows of Valencia, which I played a couple days ago and wrote about on the site today. You can go check it out over at usgamer.net. We will be talking about uh, Persona 4 Golden. Yeah, <laughs> things happen. Nadia's a little further. Things happen. Stuff. Stuff <laughs> Stuff. PG-rated so, stuff. We're going to Persona say that 4 word. Golden report incoming. And we're going to have a discussion with Robert Boyd, who is the crea- one of the creators of Cosmic Star Heroine. So, moving on right along uh so fire emblem shadow of valencia how, how how much do you recall about this game i know that you wrote a fire emblem guide in like mm-hmm. everything you kind of need to know about it so are you kind of familiar with it nadia I, i'm a little bit familiar with it i haven't played the original um i will say that valencia sounds like some kind of disease uh maybe a, <laughs> maybe a venereal disease i hate to say Oof. but it just can't get it out of my head but <laughs> um i i am quite interested in it although uh if i'm not mistaken you can't form uh bonds in this game can you i mean you kind of can i mean it seems to be kind of a return to the gba version yeah where, yeah because like you could um actually stand next to a character and you would see the little hearts appear oh and then um and then you if you do that long enough you could talk right mm-hmm. you could have a conversation mm-hmm. with somebody um and the supports go up to a they don't go up to s Right, and S is where you usually get, you know, the wedding ring out. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I can't remember if there was an S tier in the Fire Emblem for the GBA, Fire Emblem 7, but... I don't uh, think so, as I recall, but it's been a long time since I played. Yeah, but, yeah, no, there is no marriage and there are no kids, so that's the main, like, break between mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, to be perfectly honest, like, the supports, like, one of the major pillars of the supports is that it increases stats in a certain way. Yes. So, essentially, it's another way of customizing a character by having them pair up with another character. And some pairings are very strong. Like, mm-hmm. it's the difference between a character being garbage and a character being, like, OP and unbeatable. <laughs> nice. I yeah, like, like in idea. Fire Emblem Fates, um, some characters are so good when you mm-hmm. pair them up with others. Like, their evasion will go off the charts, so they become unhittable. Or their speed will go, so, like, up really high, so they're always getting, like, dual hits and that kind of thing. Yeah, you, you could sort of do that with um, Awakening, with uh, the kids you made. Because, uh, God, I bred uh, Gaius to, uh, <laughs> uh, what's her name, the Tagwal. Was it Pane? I can't remember her name. But anyway, they made a yarn, and he just, like, blitzed everyone on the battlefield because he was so freaking fast. No one could see him. I didn't John have the, Cena. I didn't have the patience to raise up the kids in Fates because by the time I had the kids, like, usually they were so strong that it was just like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can go back to the baby dimension, kid. Yeah, but Shadows of Valencia, I mean, it's quite different from some of the more recent games. Um, it's based on Fire Emblem Gaiden, which was like the second game made in the series. And mm-hmm. it um, has, it 
is lacking a lot of the things mm-hmm. that are kind of series staples at this point. Um, it's lacking the weapons triangle, yeah, which is basically the rock, paper, scissor kind of thing um, with the weapons, um, mm-hmm. which was weird when I was playing it because I was just like, oh, okay, like, uh, right, yeah, no, uh, a person with a sword can attack a person with a lance. This is different. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Let's just let's Without getting completely this. obliterated. Yeah. And people with bows can attack, like, from one square away rather than two squares. Yeah, that no, that I'm gonna is gonna take me some time to get used to. So, like, when you attack, like, if you attack somebody like who's an archer, they can't attack at close range. You're, like, you're not totally safe. Wow. So I'm just picturing someone coming right up to another person and just like drawing the bow back and just like putting it right in their forehead while <laughs> the other person <laughs> doesn't move. Yeah, I um, I posited that Fire Emblem. Uh, Echo Shadow of Valencia will actually be easier than um, Awakening and um, Fates because it has some tools that are really useful mm-hmm. aside from casual mode, which is usual. For one thing, uh, you have this uh, this this turn wheel, which lets you rewind a turn yeah, or, or I, two I, I, I if saw you your, screw up. Yeah, I saw your article about that. That seems... Uh... And as you say, you can't spam it if, if, no. if I'm not correct. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're right. Uh, you cannot spam it. So you can um, rewind time. And I mean, it's an interesting, it's an interesting little tool because I, I think it will be at its most useful when you're super deep into a mission mm-hmm. and you accidentally lose a character and you're like, damn it. Mm-hmm. This is especially the case when you're playing on classic mode, as I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have the permadeath switched right on there. Always, I mean, like uh, I, I can't play Fire Emblem without uh, permadeath turned on. It, it strikes me as almost like it's just almost blasphemous to play it on casual mode. I like, I understand people want to do it; they want to play through the story without having heartburn or whatever. But I just, I think it wrecks <laughs> the balance. Yeah, I wrote I'm a whole a... thing how I was just like, play on classic mode, please. I'm a wiener. It's not People... about a being a wiener. It's about appreciating the balance of the maps. But then my husband would die. <laughs> I mean, you can't just reset, right? I mean, you can just start over. If you play it with on classic mode, it's about figuring out the rhythms of the map. It's it's almost like a puzzle. It's interesting rather than just kind of like smashing and grabbing your way through a map. This is one of those things where we differentiate where you're about the systems and I'm about the story, isn't it? I mean, I guess. I mean, is it literally just because you want to watch the story and not worry too much? Uh, not that I don't appreciate Fire Emblem's gameplay. I, I love it very much. But yeah, it's really more about the character interactions for me and, you know, hmm. who's going out with who. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess the story, like the actual storytelling is okay. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think the story in Fire Emblem is any great shakes. I remember really liking Fire Emblem 7 on the on the GBA, but that was a long time ago. Which one? Was that um, Sacred Stones or was that... Uh... That was before Sacred Stones. It was the first one. So that was the first one we got here. Yeah. Yes. I remember liking that a lot too. Yeah, no, I liked the story in that one because I liked... Um, uh, I, I liked the main characters, actually. Mm-hmm. I liked Hector and Ellie Wood and um, What's-Her-Face with the green hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like so-and-so and, and What's-Her-Face. And that but... one lady... And that one chick who was kind of made an impression. Yes, but exactly. Yeah, I, I I liked them too. I, I had a good time with that game, and that was a that was a very interesting experience. Cause that was our first um, Fire Emblem, and even though it didn't have Roy in it, he showed up in the ending. I think he's Elliewood's kid. Yes, yes, he is. Um, because it's actually a prequel. Yeah, it's a prequel to Fire Emblem Six, where Roy actually appears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Which was weird when I went back to play Fire Emblem 6 in Japanese and like a whole bunch of the characters from 7 were old, (laughs) including Elliewood, I think. Um, Yeah. So yeah, and Roy is an adult and you're playing with Roy. So Uh, I think maybe Hector is in that one too and he's definitely old. They're all very old. Old and grumpy. Get off my lawn. Yeah, you help this kid in Fire Emblem 7 and he turns out to be the villain of Fire Emblem 6. Oh, really? Yeah, it was actually pretty great. And then the post credit sequence has him going like, ha, 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 or whatever. <laughs> Glowing eyes. But I digress. Um, so yeah, Fire Emblem Shadows of Valencia, uh, I really like the art style. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It has this kind of colored pencil look to it that I think it feels more appealing than the traditional kind of anime look 
um, yeah. of the last two games? Yeah, I believe I, I think so. But here's the thing with Fire Emblem, even with the even when it like it when even when it's generic anime, it ha- there's something about it that I just love the character art. Like one of the things that really attracted me to uh, Fire Emblem Seven was that character art and just how just how cool everyone was, even though they were so like hyper Bishonen, and I wasn't really into Bishonens at the time. I just really loved the something about the design aesthetic really gets me. Mm, no, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that I might prefer Shadows of Valencia in this instance. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's also these dungeons, uh, getting back to the easy part, uh, which, I mean, you like kind of delve into them and you explore and you can actually use it as a grinding opportunity, mm-hmm. which means that you can totally grind up your characters and uh, throw the balance of the game out of whack. So. <laughs> Well, you could kind of do that with, with some other of uh, some other Fire Emblem games too, right? Like, yeah, like, like Awakening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you could do that in Awakening and in Birthright. Um, mm-hmm. You couldn't really do that in Conquest, right? And that's what people said. It was like definitely the harder of the two. I know it was also the better of the two because it had much better <laughs> maps. Uh, like Conquest felt like the fully realized version of Birthright, but mm-hmm. and also, and here's the real interesting thing: you can totally revive your characters. Oh, really? Yeah, like, there is a uh, there are these revival wells in the dungeons that you can use to revive dead characters. I don't know how many there are. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's an interesting thing. So if you lose a character, mm-hmm. you can kind of make a bet that there will be a revival well at some point that you can bring them back. So maybe you can just be like, well, it's an interesting choice, right? It's like, yeah. well, they're dead, but I can bring them back. So I guess I'll just kind of go without them until I find the next one. Just uh, keep their corpse, drag it around. <laughs> yeah, so you can play on classic mode, and it'll actually still be like fairly reasonably accessible. I feel like, um, mm-hmm. but as people were observing on Reddit, um, it gets pretty hard apparently after chapter six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so I, I guess we'll have to see. Um, they were like, "Yeah, no, Fire Emblem got in. It's real hard, etc., etc., etc." So. Yeah, but that's the original, right? We don't know how much they're... Uh, well, they're not really nerfing anything, are they? No, probably not. By all accounts, Shadow of Valencia is a pretty faithful yeah. um, port or rema- remastering, Remake, I suppose, yeah. um, which suggests to me that they're not going to kind of hold back on the actual map design. So mm-hmm. we'll see. But I found it interesting that there are these like particular tricks that were going to make it probably quite a fair bit easier. A fair mm-hmm. bit more forgiving yes. than Awakening. A little maybe, more accessible. Maybe that would have been the word that I should have used, forgiving. Yeah. But, yeah, Shadows of Valencia looks pretty good. Um, coming out next month mm-hmm. um, on the 3DS. <laughs> one of the handful of 3DS games that are still coming out. Nintendo seems content to continue pushing it. But with the Switch, at least right now, a success. I feel like they're probably going to wind it down pretty quickly. Yeah, or at the very least, I think we're going to see a period where games like... Uh, Shadows of Valencia are available on both 3DS oh. and Switch. So you think it'll get ported over to the Switch? No, no, not this game specifically. Just, you know, they're uh, uh, games in the future. Oh, or... so like Dragon Quest Eleven? Yeah, exactly. Hmm, maybe. I don't know. Like, the 3DS is different enough from the Switch that I could... I don't think it's actually a one-to-one thing. Like, you would see a lot of games on the PS4 and the Vita that would get... Mm-hmm there because even though there were like obvious like some serious technical compromises between the <laughs> ps4 and the vita um they could look just similar enough that basically they would just make it for the vita and then port it to the ps4 that's true yeah but uh the 3ds either way it's it's not out just yet no absolutely not emphasis on yet but you know what is almost out mm-hmm. persona 4 golden <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of. Is that of a good a... segue? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> sure, why the hell not? <laughs> <laughs> well, and what I mean by out is like, I mean, you're almost done. This is like the penultimate Persona 4 Golden Report. Well, here's my question for you. I still have like a few months to go, uh, although I've noticed that. You said you're oh, in December. Yeah, I'm in December, but isn't okay. doesn't this go to like April? It does. So here's here's what I want to ask you about Japan. So they have their final exams in December, and then they they don't get off school again until April. To tell you the truth, I don't remember. Because <laughs> that's a waste of a lot of time. Because I know, like, 
God, when I was in school, you'd have those those few days before school ended where you'd just like bugger off and do nothing and pl- play Connect Four until you know. They the- don't have a four month break. Let me tell you that. Yeah, that much I know. But uh, yeah, maybe maybe continue through December and uh, you'll see like what exactly happens. But okay, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm jumping the I'm jumping the gun here. So what happened? Oh my goodness. Okay, so various handfuls of fecal matter hit the oscillating device. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> the shit hit the fan. First of all... Oh, thank you, Nadia, for explaining <laughs> that one. I didn't get it. I, I thought maybe I was getting a little too flowery there. I do that sometimes. <laughs> uh, uh, first of all, uh, to put it very bluntly, I'd like it just kind of sum things up. Uh, Nanatame didn't do the, the murders. Uh, what? Shock of the year. Uh, no, you're referring like our... to the delivery guy. The poor delivery guy. We were blaming the Amazon guy, so we were saying we were like, you know, scared of answering the door for the Amazon guy because he was going to kidnap us and throw us into TVs. Oh, you were saying that. I didn't <laughs> say that. You didn't correct me, but I guess I see why. <laughs> um, I didn't want to but... spoil you. Yeah, you're right. No, you did the right thing, Cat. Uh, oh, what it was going to tell you that who the actual culprit was, and then have you be like spoiled on the best spoiler ever. Yeah, I have to say, I kind of didn't see it coming until the last possible second. Um, oh, really? Like, but then you saw it coming. Like, I you did, actually, I, you figured it out. A little bit, yeah. Like, he, he, well, here's the thing. It, it's Adachi, uh, the goofball investigator who uh, mm-hmm. was working with Dojima on the case. Uh, it turned out he's an asshole. <laughs> who would have thunk? I should have uh, asked you about what you thought. I should have asked you more what you thought of Adachi. Yeah, I think you did in Slack once, and I just kind of brushed it off. But then I realized, like, you said you hadn't done any of the um, the social bonding moments with him, right? Yes. Yeah, so I did a couple. Unfortunately, I didn't get as many as I would have liked. But uh, he did mention that he was, like, a just, like, a top student in the in this big city school. And, he would, like, he sounded very capable in his past. But I'm like, okay, why are you... Why are you such an idiot in, in in this in this reality? Why are you so stupid? What is going on here? So um, when they're kind of giving me this this list of people to choose from, okay, who do you think it is? I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I think it's this dumbass. And uh, I I was you right. got it right. Yeah. Although that was just it was like half a guess, half a well maybe maybe not thing. Hmm. Um. Because, I mean, let's face it, he doesn't give off the air of someone malicious. And yeah, he's a comedic relief. He, exactly. He's comedy relief, and he doesn't really come off as someone who, who's mean. But when mm-hmm. he changes his personality to, to match what he actually is, he, he's, a real, he's a real dick. Yeah, he's <laughs> a psychopath, isn't he? he he's a psychopath. He, first of all, he has a problem with women. Uh, yep. Big surprise there. Uh, he likes the word bitch. Like he says it like five times in two sentences. I counted, but <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so he's not like a. He, it's definitely a good reveal because it's not totally unrealistic. I could see it. I could see someone being that sweet on the outside and kind of rotten on the inside and having this motivation for being an asshole because, well, as he said, he's studied his ass off. He graduated at the top of his class. And uh, he got, they got stuck in the boonies. So he's he very, very resentful of that whole thing. And uh, he, my question now is, um, okay, you said a long time ago, make sure you uh, max out your social link with uh, Nanako. And I did. Uh, and then she friggin' flatlined when she was in the hospital. And I'm like, oh my god, she died. I'm going to throw my PS Vita into the, into the ceiling right now. <laughs> um, but then she came back to life. So uh, I don't know if that's something that won't happen if you don't have a, a a really high social link with her or not. My understanding is that if you so you you can't you can only lose Nanako if you guess the wrong um the wrong killer. Oh really? I think that's it. But at the same time, like I think that's kind of a game over scenario. Yeah, because I'm thinking, okay, there was definitely a scenario. First of all, a very helpful listener told me to save, make another save file before December 2nd, so I did, so thank you for that. Uh, but there is an option where, when, after Nanako dies, um, the, the group storms into uh, the who they think is the killer's his uh, hospital room, Namakame, and they, you have the option, do you want to push this guy in the TV and essentially kill him or not? 
and I chose not to, so can you um, end the game if you do? So if you kill him, Namatame, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then she dies, and it's game over. Okay, so it's a game over scenario either way. Yes, and Dojima grieves over being unable to see her one last time, according to the Wikia. <laughs> the Wikia. That yes. is re- very dark. Um, but then there's a neutral ending where if you spare Namatame, mm-hmm. but still fail to identify the real culprit. Okay. And then there's a good ending where you get the real one. Okay, so if I, like when they present me with that list of choices, I could have said, uh, oh, it's uh, Yukiko, and would <laughs> I guess that would have consequences. But there's also a true ending. Oh. Yes, hmm. so you might want to keep an eye out for that one. Yeah, I wonder if I'm currently on the right path to that, because uh, basically where I stopped for now is uh, uh, Adachi's um, dungeon was opened up to me, and I haven't gone in there yet. Uh, I love how everyone's like, uh, okay, we got, I'm, I'm saying, okay, we got to go in there now. And everyone's like, eh, let's just wait till tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> we got to subscribe. Anyway, I mean, maxing out her social link, you should just do that anyway, because mm-hmm. she's amazing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, she was the first I maxed out either here, her or Dejima, but I think, no, I think she was the first. Uh, I've maxed out a lot of people. I've maxed out her. I maxed out Teddy, even though I was not trying to do that at all. Oh, good um, job. <laughs> <laughs> You kind of max out the uh, the group, um, which just kind of automatically happens. I maxed out uh, what's um, who else did I max out? Uh, Yukiko, Marie. Um, I f- haven't done Yosuke. Oh, and uh, Kanji. I maxed him out too. Oh, good job. His his uh, scenario is really cute with all the little stuffed animals and stuff. All right. So what happened after you um, managed to uh, finger <laughs> finger Adachi? <laughs> Uh, he, um, let's see, what happened exactly? Well, first of all, that was an interesting scenario because we kind of, when we figured things out, the group, I mean, we kind of confronted him in the hospital where, uh, Dojima and uh, Nanako are staying, and he was really up a creek because we're all surrounding him on one side, and then Dojima just happens to come by at that moment and kind of got him on the other side, so he really had nowhere to go, and, uh... I think it's uh, Naoto who says that the thing that gave it away, for her at least, was uh, there was something he said that was very incriminating when they caught uh, Namitame uh, about how he um, uh, Adachi said, well, that wraps it up, even though the police supposedly had no idea about the murders going on, other than, like, you know, the couple of really early publicized ones. So they had no idea that like there was so many attempted murders going on, just that people were disappearing and reappearing after a few days. Hmm. So if you were paying close enough attention and you're as smart as Naoto. <laughs> I'm not that smart. That's for damn sure. <laughs> hey, you figured it out. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, it was half a guess. And uh, I got to say, uh, Adachi's face turned really creepy after that. Yeah. He gets a couple of new portraits, lucky us. Yes, exactly. So... And then, uh, but he escapes. Yep, he escapes. He goes to the TV world. Um, Teddy comes back and helps me identify where he is. And he's actually in the room where it all starts. The the room that the gang first falls into, uh, where the uh, the announcer was murdered. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of spills everything. And as I said, Scooby-Doo he has... Scooby-Doo style. Scooby-Doo, totally Scooby-Doo style. Oh my god. And as I said, he has woman problems, he has uh, issues, and uh, he's... Basically, it was all a game to him, he says. Yeah, it's uh, pretty he, creepy, isn't it? It is. He's Basically, he was bored, and he had nothing better to do, so They he, really sell, like, what a nutcase he is. Yeah, they do. I can't remember his voice actor, but he does a really good job. So, um, a little while ago, I interviewed Katsura Hashino, who was the director of Persona 4, or sorry, mm-hmm. Persona 5, and he's been involved with the SMT series for a long time. And he says, in fact, in both Persona 3 and 4, there comes a point where the justice the protagonist and his friends believe in is challenged and he must face the true darkness embodied within the game. Mm. I think Adachi is that true darkness. Oh, definitely. Um, I have to say the the whole town, like kind of surrounded by the mist, uh, is just fantastic. They have this really subtle thumping music going on that I just love. Uh, I got to download that later. And uh, another character, uh, one of the NPCs, makes a, a Stephen King mist reference, which is all it takes to make me happy. So that was yeah, pretty good. Yeah, but yeah, Adachi, 
he's like the darkness of the human heart. Mm-hmm. Like he is, he's a nihilist. And he's a sociopath. Like, oh yeah, like everybody is fighting for their friends and fighting for each other. And he's just like, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. kill people. I'm gonna toss people into the TV because I'm a lonely asshole. Yeah, it's uh, it's really kind of frightening to think there there are people like that. I mean, obviously they can't toss people in TVs, but they just hmm. they have no connection to other humans. They they don't care if they destroy someone else's life because it, it amuses them for a few minutes, and that's all that matters. I found him to be a very creepy and effective villain, to be honest. Like once mm-hmm. they like remove the mask, and I did not guess at all that it would be a Dachi. Like I had to look it up mm-hmm. um, because I didn't. I thought I was going to lose Nanako. I'm like, oh my god, I'm going to lose <laughs> Nanako. Ah! Um, so I like loaded it up. So I looked it up and I was like, oh, okay. That's Adachi. Got it. I'm actually really, really glad it wasn't Namatame. Um, first oh, of all, yeah, it, that would have been a letdown, wouldn't it? That would have been a huge letdown because, number one, the whole like flawed savior thing is so overdone, especially in anime and JRPGs. Mm-hmm. And second of all, they actually did a pretty good job making him a sympathetic character once everything kind of came to light. Um, yeah, you, fairly. Yeah, you learn that he was throwing. Yes, he was throwing people into TVs, but he had no real idea how horrible it was on the other side. Number one, uh, and uh, number two, he was trying to save them because he thought he knew that this killer was out to get them, and Adachi was egging him on, as it turns out. Uh, and he knew the only, or he thought the only safe place for them uh, was the, just like in the TV world, where they could hang out until the killer lost interest or whatever. Well, here's the moral of the story. Don't throw people in the TV. <laughs> Use your TV for viewing, not for throwing people inside, please. There should be a disclaimer on every like new 4K TV. Yeah, I mean, I mean that should be like the motto of Acts of the Blood God. Don't throw people in TVs. <laughs> <laughs> Acts of the Blood God. Do not throw people into TVs. <laughs> well, uh, I think this is. Uh, I think we have one more Persona 4 Golden report in us, and then after that, we'll have to move on to something else. Yeah, I definitely would like to talk about the, the the final battle and, you know, just kind of wrap things up more thoroughly. Somebody's excited for uh, us to do a Shadowrun Returns uh, report. Oh, that would be interesting because um, I think I saw that comment and I was thinking, you know how we were talking about how I need to play more Western RPG as well. Shadowrun is one of those franchises I've always kind of had a, a, at least a low-key interest in for a very long time. And you know what's actually pretty similar to uh, uh, Shadowrun? Hmm? Cosmic Star Heroine. Yes, which is a great game, I have to say. I've been playing it quite a bit. And we're going to be talking to the creator in the next segment, so don't go away. All right, we're back, and with me now is Robert Boyd, who I think was on the second ever episode of Acts of Blood God, which was two years ago, and at the time he was working on Cosmic Star Heroine. Well, he's back now because his game is officially out, which congratulations, Woo. Robert. Man, it's been a long journey for you. How long has it been? Like four years at this point? Yeah, it almost took four years total. Jeez, it's, I can't even bl- imagine. You were talking a lot about on NeoGAF about like, how tough it was, uh, to be honest. Like it, it felt a little bit like the game got the best of you. Yeah, I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> it must feel good to have it done, though. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to have it out there. Mm-hmm. And how's uh? I mean, I'm I'm really enjoying the game a lot. I haven't finished it, but I'm, I'm several hours in. And uh, has reception generally been good? Yeah, reception's been really positive. I mean, we had a few bugs early on, but I think we've fixed most of them at this point. And actually, the European PlayStation 4 uh, version of the game just had a major patch go live a few minutes ago. So oh, that nice. brings it up brings it up to the Steam version. So we're really pleased with that. It's such a, I mean, it's, a huge kind of leap above your previous games. Like if people aren't familiar with your work, um, you worked on uh, Cthulhu Saves the World. Um, you did a kind of an 8-bit dungeon crawler for um, uh, for the Xbox Live Indies when that was a thing called Breath of Death 7, I believe. Um, and then, of course, you worked on Penny Arcade Adventures 3 and 4, which was a step up above Cthulhu Saves the World. But this is easily... 
your most ambitious game to date. Like, um, just playing through it. I'm currently in chapter two. Uh, I, I'm consistently blown away by the sprite art, right? I mean, yeah, it's really nice. Really, really expressive sprites. Um, is it fair to say that it's almost on the level of like Suikoden? Yeah, I, we originally started out planning on doing something along the lines of a late gen Super Nintendo game, but by the time we were done, we were thinking, oh, this is more like a PlayStation 1 or <laughs> Sega Saturn RPG, just with, you know, how detailed some of the artwork is and all the animations and, you know, way more colors than you'd find on the Super Nintendo as well. Yeah, um, I really love how the uh, the sprite quality is definitely like PS1 era, and I mean that in the best way because that had some of the greatest sprite work you'll ever see ever. But I really like how at the same time I can really see that Chrono Trigger influence, uh, which is also a compliment because those are some really expressive sprites going on there. Yeah, well, everyone loves Chrono Triggers, so being prepared <laughs> to it is great. You really can't go wrong uh, with Chrono Trigger. And uh, I noticed that uh, Cosmic Star Heroine also has that, like, sort of instant pull into battle where you meet someone on the map and you get pulled into a fight right away, which is always nice because as much as I like scene changes, uh, I kind of like getting to the meat of the fight, too. Yeah, we have been, for a long, the longest time, we've been trying to cut down on the tedium and, you know, just make everything really snappy and being able to have the fight start exactly where you are is really speeds things up. Mm -hmm. I also really, really like the, I want to compliment you on the battle system because it's, um, it takes some thought to get through a battle in cosmic star heroin, like to just to kind of reiterate for our, our listeners, uh, you have most of the moves that each character has can be used a limited amount of times before they have to recharge and at the same time, they have uh, a kind of a, a style bar that builds up the power of those attacks the more that they, the longer a battle goes on. So you have to know when to hold on to a decent attack and when to use it and when to take the time to defend and recharge so you're not completely wasting your chance for a big hit. Um, what kind of, is there anything that inspired you to come up with that, that battle system in particular? Because it's not like anything I've ever played before. Yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> a while ago, we were just, you know, given the idea that, you know, maybe we shouldn't use a traditional MP point system. So we really went down and looked at, you know, the purpose of combat and, you know, mm -hmm. why people used MP in so many games. And, mm -hmm. you know, so we thought of this as a way to really encourage the player to both plan ahead Mm -hmm. because like you said there's the style that builds up you also have your hyper bars that build up where every you know few turns you get a big move so you have to plan to have everything ready then <clears throat> so yeah just having and ahead and also you know with the way most abilities can only be used once you have to really you cycle through different abilities you just can't pick one or two and spam them the whole time yeah but, and uh i've noticed that a lot of enemies have uh like quite a bit of HP, so you, you have to make good use of your buffs and debuffs as well. Yeah, I mean, one of the games in particular that was an inspiration was uh, Xenoblade, just oh, how, yeah. you know, it has, you know, your bar of different abilities and they're all on cooldowns. And so we, I was trying to take some of the ideas from that and transition it to more of a strictly turn-based system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you did a pretty good job with that. Uh, you guys also did a great job with the music. Uh, speaking of, uh, I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but Xenoblade, uh, the opening bars of the the battle music kind of remind me of the uh, the uh, opening bars for uh, Colony 6 in the same game. Or Colony 9, rather. I don't know if that was on purpose, but it's pretty great. No, that wasn't on purpose. But you <laughs> know, I, with the combat music, you have to be really careful in that it has to have a nice mix of excitement while not getting, you know, too repetitive mm -hmm. after you've listened to it so many times during the game. And I think, you know, Hyperduck did a really great job on the entire soundtrack. It's a fantastic soundtrack. I've actually been meaning to buy it. Uh, is it for sale? I can't remember. Yeah, it's available on Bandcap Camp, and also Steam has it as DLC for the game. Nice oh, plug okay. there, Nadia. Like, I, I, I have to <laughs> applaud right there. But I was actually genuinely curious there, too. <laughs> 
I, I found the battle system interesting because it, um, I mean, we've talked about this before. It has that aspect of, um, it kind of lets you use all of your abilities without having any real kind of like kind of holding you back like an artificial like say HP pool and everything like everything can kind of be recharged uh, mm-hmm. just by defending and you've said in the past Robert that you wanted to put people into a, a situation where they were actually using their items and that sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, but with the uh, one thing that I found um what interesting were, were the programs um just because it like buffs different things and like you have to kind of level up your hackitude <laughs> to be able to use them <laughs> yes uh tell me a little bit about the development of the programs and how they kind of intertwined with the uh the actual battle system yeah with the programs we were trying to give the game kind of like a multi-class system where you had these different shields that you could equip and each one has a set of programs and like you said the which programs you get from a shield is based on your hackitude stat which you know goes up as you level up and some characters have really high ones some have really low ones so we thought that was you know a very interesting way for the player to customize their party because now you have these shields, they have different defense values, they have passive abilities, and then also they have these programs. So you have to, you know, weigh in your mind, you know, which shield to give to which person. Mm-hmm. You know, should you use one for its defensive capabilities, even though the programs aren't very good or you don't have enough hackitude for them? You know, lots of interesting decisions like that. Yeah, I definitely noticed that uh, party balancing is a very big job in this game. Um because I, uh, I noticed kind of the hard way that certain characters do not have a lot of hackitude <laughs> and they cannot take advantage of some pretty kick-ass programs that are on their shields. Like Dave, of course, he's the tech nerd. He's the one who has the high hackitude, but his regular attacks just aren't that great. Uh, he's really more about the buffs and debuffs. So you, you kind of have to go with like a, a party that has your heavy hitters, your quote-unquote magicians... Uh, I, I really kind of like the fact that you have to just, you can't just put anyone into a party and, and hope for the best. You have to think about what you're doing. Okay, yeah, and we also tried to make it so throughout the game, you know, you have to use all the different characters, so you can't just get complacent and use one party the whole time. Yeah, I noticed that too. Speaking of Dave, uh, is he meant to resemble you, or is he supposed to be uh, um, the main character from Half-Life? <laughs> <laughs> Gordon Freeman. Uh, no, he I the concept behind Dave was just, you know, gen, you know, game developer pretty much. So, it wasn't meant to be based on me or anyone in particular. It was just, you know, a big stereotype of that kind of person <laughs> with the beard actually- and the glasses. Yeah, my first thought when I looked at him was like, that looks a lot like Robert. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> I've never yeah, I don't I've, know what you look like, dude. I've so, had so. friends come up to me and say, oh, you based Dave on me. I was like, no, not really. It was just, <laughs> you know, just a big cliche. Pretty typical game I was, game I was actually going to ask you um, what cultural influences you have going on here because, like, there's just this really interesting blend of comedy uh, and, and seriousness that's just really well balanced. I mean, on one hand, you have this whole you know rebelling against the the empire or like government uh story but on the other hand you have again hackitude and gunmancy so I, I was just curious if there's any particular or any special movies that or books or whatever that really inspired you here yeah i mean the big one for us was the lunar series on oh, the sega cd and you know later they ported it to the saturn and playstation one uh, just how you know, would have that series had very serious, melodramatic, you know, bombastic fantasy plots where the world's ending and all that. But then Working Designs gave it a very, you know, very humorous tone to it. It had lots of weird asides and colorful characters. So we were, we were trying to get that kind of mix between, you know, a serious a main plot, but then also lots of fun stuff with the characters and jokes and all that. I'm actually pretty curious. Like, what was the biggest sticking point for you with with this game? Um, you mentioned that it was like just really crazily ambitious. Was it just 
the number of assets that you had to produce, like the the cutscenes, like what was the biggest sticking point? Uh, well, I mean, there were a few things. One, like you said, the number of assets we, I mean, when you have a fixed point battle system like the old Final Fantasy games, where you know all the characters are on one end and the enemies are on the other, and there's not a whole lot of animation, you know th- that's pretty easy to create, but. You know, with our game, how enemies can be on the map and walk around and you don't necessarily know what direction they're going to be attacking from, that, you know, exponentially increased the amount of work for creating the assets. But, mm-hmm. I mean, also just the, I mean, the game was a lot longer than all of our other games, so that was a big thing that drastically increased the amount of work. Um, another thing was how we really wanted to get it on the Vita, so... After I had created, you know, most of the engine, we tried it out on the Vita and found out we were getting something like six frames per second so Ooh, the ouch. time, which obviously wasn't going to work. So I had to go back and rewrite a lot of the code just to get the performance up to a good level. And also, you know, on the code end of things, all of our previous games were made with Microsoft's XNA engine as the base. Because, you know, they started out on Xbox Live Indie Games, but, you know, Microsoft discontinued that engine a few years ago, so we switched over to Unity to be able to port it to different platforms more easily. So, um, basically, unlike our other games where we started with Breath of Death 7 and then each game, we took the same code base and just added new features and fixed things here and there. Here we were, you know, starting with a very ambitious you know, mm-hmm. game, and I just had to create it all from scratch, pretty much, so. Wow. Yeah, that was, for me personally, that was the biggest difficulty, and so, obviously not going to be a problem if we make another game based on this engine. <laughs> the worst is over with. I mean, like, how long were you, like, expecting it's, this game to take versus how long it actually took? Well, if you look at our Kickstarter, we expected it to come out at the end of 2014. (laughs) (laughs) That's just a small delay. So it's over two years late at this point. So, I mean, yeah, then like right after the Kickstarter, I found out that my wife was pregnant with twins. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Which, you know really was a lot more work than I expected because, I mean, we knew <laughs> we were going to have another child, but twins is just, you know, it's not twice as hard. It's four times. It's five times <laughs> as hard because, you know, they rile each other up. Aw, babies. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but yeah, I, the original plan was just way too ambitious. We should have really scaled it down a lot and we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. Will there be like uh, like DLC or anything of that sort? Like anything planned? I, I know you're probably not thinking about it right now, but you know, in your heart of hearts, so you would you kind of like that to happen? Um, we're thinking of probably doing some free updates just to put in some stuff that we wanted to have in the game, but just didn't have enough time before launch to get in and polish up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we don't have any plans for any paid DLC other than the soundtrack, which is already up. Mm-hmm. I know you've been asked like this probably a million times, but um, I remember when the Switch was first formally revealed, uh, you were a bit of a, a Switch skeptic, as it were, <laughs> or at the very least, you were skeptical of porting um, Cosmic Star Heroine over to the Switch. Um, with the fact that it's been out for a month and its general success so far, like has your opinion kind of changed on it? Like, well, what are your thoughts on the Switch? Actually, it it's completely the opposite. I was very gung-ho on the Switch, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we tried to contact Nintendo and didn't have a whole lot of luck at first. And, you know, we finally managed to get a hold of somebody, and, and they said they'd be really interested in having the game and on the Switch and that we should talk to them sometime after, you know, our launch, you know, busyness is, has died down. So we're still considering that. And, you know, it's a definite possibility, but we haven't, you know, we don't have a dev kit or anything like that. So I haven't tested the game on the Switch, but I can't imagine it would have much difficulty running on it, given that the game runs pretty well on a Vita and the Switch is a lot more powerful than that. 
I was going to say, I was playing it today, and the the Cosmic Star Hero, and I was thinking, oh man, I kind of wish this was on the Switch. I guess play it handheld. Yeah, I mean, and from what I've played on the Vita of the game, it, it really transitions well to a small screen. Mm-hmm. Having uh, now made this game, uh, which is, you know, straddling the line between 16-bit and PlayStation, does it give you a greater appreciation for what the developers of uh, games like Chrono Trigger and Suikoden 2 ended up accomplishing with their respective games? Oh, definitely. I mean, because <laughs> with Cosmic Star Heroin, since we're using much more powerful hardware, there's all sorts of shortcuts we can take that you just don't have available to you when you've got you know, four megabytes total to cram the entire <laughs> game into and, you know, next to no RAM or CPU power to power the thing. So, yeah, definitely it's really impressive some of the older games that were they were able to make. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but I, I got to say, like, uh, you just don't have that many people who can do that great of sprite art or has that mm-hmm. changed in recent years because i remember that there was a bit of a crisis where like people who could do legitimately great sprite art were kind of dying out but now that sprite art is kind of the thing that run dominates indie games is that like kind of reversed yeah i'm probably the worst person to ask this <laughs> just because we've been so busy working on this game i haven't had much of a chance to play other games in the past couple of years <laughs> but I like i know wondering. yeah i know owlboy just came out a few months ago and that's a really you know good looking 2d game and there's some other ones i want to check up on when i you know come back to life <laughs> <laughs> you should definitely play stardew valley one of the big concerns uh, that have kind of faced indie develop a lot of indie developers is just the spiraling costs of making an indie game. Um, have you been kind of feeling that yourself? Well, I mean, like with this game, Cosmic Star Heroine, it took us almost four years, the two of us, plus, you know, Hyperduck, that's two people, and they spent a lot of their time, you know, composing the soundtrack, doing sound effects and all that, so... Even though they weren't working the entire four years full time, they also put in a lot of work. So, you know, compared to our other games that we were able to finish within the year or about a year and much smaller, less ambitious soundtracks, it definitely cost way more. And, you know, and part of it is, like you said, how, you know, game development and indie game development is just becoming more and more competitive. So, there's really that feeling that you have to constantly one-up yourself just to be able to compete. Uh, in, in retrospect, uh, would you say that your Kickstarter covered all the costs nicely or everything kind of just spiraled a bit out of control there? Yeah, the Kickstarter did not cover all the costs nicely. <laughs> I mean, like like I said, we were expecting to be finished over two years ago. So, you know, and, you know the Kickstarter was supposed to help defray costs and we were going to put in you know, a lot of our own money and savings into it. So, you know, it's been way past the time that we expected to have it done. So, you know, I've been borrowing money and living as frugally as possible. So I, I really hope that it does make up some of the costs, though, because it's a it's a great game and deserves for it to like have people buy it, you know. So you were sounding a bit a bit burned out in game development um, once Cosmic Star Heroin finally got out. Um based on some of the comments you were making on NeoGAF and, and such. Um, have you had a chance to recover a little bit, or you just kind of kind of disappear for the next few months and just recover and recharge? Yeah, I'm still debating on what to do there, you know, whether, you know, we should try to make another game or, you know, whether I should just say, oh, well, this is a good game, I'm done, and go find work elsewhere. <laughs> uh, you said that you... Like now that you have this engine, uh, you could theoretically use it to develop other games uh, fairly easily. So, I mean, you have at least have that going for you, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, if we make another game, it would be based on this engine, and <clears throat> that would speed things up on my end drastically. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, we've learned some tricks from making Cosmic Star here and about like different ways we can save work, like with. Some of the enemies, you know, we made animations for them in all four directions, but then in the actual game, you never see some of those directions just because of how the battle is set up. So mm-hmm. stuff like that is our areas where we could save time and effort and 
make still make a high quality game but do it more quickly so all told like i mean you've been working on this game for four years um what have you kind of learned about rg rpg design and development um over the course of this game i mean one of the big things we wanted to do with this game that we didn't really do in our previous games was really emphasize the whole big set piece bombastic event type of thing that you see in stuff like Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger, where you have these really memorable scenarios that, you know, people really enjoy and get, you know, you really excited. So we tried to stick a few of those in, whereas before in our RPGs, they were mostly of the, you know, traditional go to a town, go to a dungeon, rinse, repeat. Mm -hmm. So we tried to put more variety here, you know, both with really exciting scenarios like the festival that we have in the game yeah, and also I, yeah i just saw that it's great <laughs> yeah somebody commented on it it's like oh yeah i just played 45 minutes of cosmic star hero and which was like they tried to cram every amazing scene from every rpg ever into it <laughs> but then you know on the reverse side we also tried to have some more downtime so you have you know some big cities that you get to explore and talk to people and mm -hmm. we have a few non-combat scenarios like there's this one place where you infiltrate a party and you have to you know talk to people and try to sneak around and find out what's going on and so you know we just tried to have not i mean our previous games tried to have fast pacing but here we tried to have you know better pacing which you know not only has a fast pace with not a whole lot of downtime, but it also mixes things up and keeps the player interested the entire time. You mentioned that you haven't had time to play games recently, but I mean, just right off the bat, I'm reminded of two things with Cosmic Star Hero, and one is Deus Ex, actually, um, especially when you go into kind of the main headquarters and initially you're having kind of a mission-based uh, profile. And the other one is uh, Dragon Age Inquisition, interestingly enough, when you're talking about infiltrating a party and like sneaking around trying to get information and that kind of thing. Um, any like substance to like those feelings or is it just kind of a feeling? Wait, what two games were that? Uh, that Deus Ex, Human Revolution and oh. Dragon Age Inquisition. Okay. Yeah. Um, Deus Ex. I played a bit of that, but to be honest, I've only played like maybe three or four hours. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I thought it was kind of an interesting game, but, you know, it didn't quite grab me as much. And uh, Dragon Age Inquisition, I've never played. I I really like the first Dragon Age game, but the sequels I haven't touched. There's a really excellent um, scenario in Dragon Age Inquisition where you infiltrate a mask ball. Ooh, and, and I think it's just an outstanding piece of RPG design. Uh, and I strongly encourage you to check it out sometime, Robert. Um, though, of course, everybody's decided that Dragon Age Inquisition is bad. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I've seen that happen lots of times where everyone loves a game. And then six months later, it's the worst thing ever. Yes. <laughs> I, I actually strongly object to the way that people will just completely turn on a thing. Um, and I think Dragon Age Inquisition is one of the worst examples, and we might be seeing it happen in real time with Persona 5. It's actually pretty remarkable. No, not Persona 5. Well, yeah, I, I just think it's really interesting how there were all these, you know, rave reviews about Persona 5 being the best thing ever, and then, like, the day after it came out, everyone's complaining about how the translation is apparently horrendous, and, mm -hmm. you know, I haven't played it myself, so I can't, you know really weigh in other than i've seen some of the screenshots of you know phrases that don't make a whole lot of sense in <laughs> english and... and so goes but i mean luckily you don't despite developing in a japanese style you do not have to worry about localization into english at least um nope. though i suppose you nope, have... just typos <laughs> <laughs> which i mean must be the scourge of one of your scourges given that you know, you're a pretty small team right Right. And, you know, there, like I said, it's just the two of us and we had some volunteer play testers, but we don't have the rigorous testing that you would get at a big publisher. So, you know, lots of little things, you know, slip through the cracks and I've been busy trying to fix everything. But luckily, text mistakes are the easiest to fix. You just have to mm -hmm. know they exist. 
<laughs> so assuming that you end up doing another RPG, um, what would what would you want to tackle next, like hypothetically? I do not know. I mean, I I always have lots of different ideas. The I think the obvious thing for us to tackle next is Persona, Ooh. just because it's such a popular niche game that not a not really anybody's really trying to copy it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you have some some things that copy you know bits and pieces like Mind Zero, but nobody's really uh, doing the whole you know visual novel slice of life plus hardcore RPG mix other than Persona. So you know that seems like the obvious thing for us to try next. But like I said, I don't know, and we haven't made any firm plans either way. Are you kind of content to kind of limit your games to like 10 to 15 hours or uh, do you see yourself ever like kind of expanding like to say like 30 or 40 hour range like or is that just too much? Yeah, I really don't see us making anything longer than this unless we get a much bigger budget and mm-hmm. more people. Like I said, this game took almost four years and by the end I was heartily sick of working on the same games. So <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, I don't if anything I would think we would probably try to do shorter games than this. Yeah, well, I mean there's nothing wrong with a a good 15-hour RPG, right? I mean, just look at Chrono Trigger. Yeah, exactly. Right. I, I mean, like if Sony or Square Enix wants to give me a huge team and budget, I I'm willing <laughs> to give it a shot, but you know, the two of us, you know, making anything longer than this is just not really feasible. But Robert Boyd, uh, we can find your game on Steam um, and also the PlayStation Network and hopefully maybe one day Switch. Um, I I guess we'll see, though. Um, Congratulations on finally getting this thing out the door. Um, It's quite an accomplishment, and I wish you the best of luck going forward. So that was Robert Boyd, um, and appreciate having him on the show. Uh, Nadia, it sounds like you're really enjoying your time with Cosmic Star Heroine. Yeah, I am. Uh, it's a it's a great game, and, and like I said uh, during the interview, it has that really fun mix of, of serious story that you want to keep on following, but at the same time, it has a lot of kind of goofy dialogue and ideas that keeps things fun. Uh, to hear him talk about how it seemingly sapped the some of the years off his life, it kind of makes me feel almost bad. <laughs> For how, like, for me calling it, like, lighthearted and fun, but that's just how it comes off, I guess. I mean, I think the point of it was to be lighthearted and fun, so I don't think you're insulting it or anything. Nah, no, I know. It just kind of, it feels a little bit weird, but uh, I'm glad the game (laughs) got finished and that it's out there. Uh, Overall thoughts on it? Uh, Well, I haven't finished the game. Uh... I'm maybe about the four hour mark, five hour mark. I can't remember for sure. I have recruited quite a few characters. I have had quite a bit of stuff go down. Um, it's just a, a very kind of like that perfect mix between 16 bit and PS1 era game. Um, I will say it does have a few problems with bugs. Like I, my game crashed after beating a particularly big boss and, uh, I was a little bit cheesed about that. <laughs> and I've Sorry gotten. About that. That's okay. It happens. It wasn't too bad. Uh, thankfully, you can save wherever you want uh, and whenever you want, but it's one of those things where in this day and age, you have to remember to save, and I often forget. Their games get a little tough uh, at times. Uh, has this been something that you've noticed? Not very. Um, I think the challenge is very good. Uh, as I said during the interview, um, you really have to know you know, what kind of strengths and weaknesses each character has. You have to use your buffs and your debuffs, and, and battles can go on for quite a bit because uh, some of the enemies have a lot of HP, but um, I haven't had too hard of a problem so far. I- I'm sure they could change at any moment. Who knows? But uh, I can't say I haven't been not challenged either. It's it's a good balance, I think. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, my, my experience is that their games have been could be pretty tough at times, but mm-hmm. um, I've been kind of moving through it at a reasonable pace. Though I, I beat one of the first actually big bosses, which was the um, the beast. Oh yeah, that was a that was one of the that was probably one of the harder fights I went through so far. Yeah, I mean he actually took out Dave. <laughs> <laughs> 
these are the Daves I know, I know. Oh, this one's dead. I didn't realize, actually, that style points, like, I, I only had kind of an inkling that the style points would improve the actual power of my attack. Mm-hmm. So I was actually like, I actually kind of took him out by mistake. <laughs> like I did it. I did a really strong attack that was like 300 damage or something like that. And I'm like, whoa. I I had just been using um this like the power up moves um for the main character. Mm-hmm. And like I had been defending a whole bunch because I needed to kind of recover some of the her abilities. Yeah. And then I used an attack that did like 300 damage on it. And then it was pretty much dead. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. One thing that they do uh, to do to make things a little bit easier is um, a lot of enemies do have like elemental strengths and weaknesses. And of course, your party members uh, adhere to an, an element each. Like Dave is electricity. Uh, Alyssa is, uh, I think, water or ice. And. Uh, I recently recruited an alien who seems to be just basically like physical or poison or, or something of that sort. But uh, yeah, it's good to know who can dish out what. I just thought of a question that I should have asked. Hmm? I found it interesting that they gave such visibility into the weaknesses of the monsters. Yeah, and I think that's why, is because just to kind of make the playing field a little more even when things get tough, especially with the longer battles with the enemies that have more hit points. Because, I mean, even if you... Even if you know an enemy's weakness, uh, if it has a lot of hit points and you execute a, an elemental attack at like uh, at like you know when you're not in hyper mode, you won't always do a lot of damage. Indeed. Well, people talk about streamlining like it's a bad word, but it feels like it feels like Cosmic Star Heroine really goes out of its way to cut all the fat out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just in terms of storytelling, like one of the Literally, when the game begins, you're in infiltrating like a corporation to rescue hostages and stuff. Yeah, it kind of the story starts, and it, it so far for me anyway, it hasn't really stopped very much. Yeah, it just keeps going. Like it, it takes it catches its breath for like a second in the corporation, mm-hmm. <laughs> or like, or sorry, your your base. Yeah, like you you finish the corporation, which is kind of like a prologue. You go back to your base. You like get your next mission, you reload, and then bam, you're on to the next thing, which is like a jungle planet or something. <laughs> yeah, um, I will say one one complaint I do have about the game is that it's very hard to backtrack. In most cases, you can't do it at all. Uh, that might change. You might get a chance to as you as I go deeper into the game, but like there was a an instance where there was some poor woman hanging off a, uh, a ledge in a, in a factory, and I had to turn off the uh, these tre- these like treadmill belts that were kind of keeping her there. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll find that, and I'll, I'll be back to you. But then I went in the elevator, and I couldn't go back. So as far as I know, oh, she's, no. she's still hanging there. And she what was have so, you done, Nadia? You're a murderer. She was so calm about the whole thing. Like, oh, no big deal, but if you have a chance, can you help me not die? That would be really great. <laughs> uh, well, I need to play more Cosmic Star Heroine. I can throw it on the pile. Put it on your pile. Now Cat has a pile, too. Oh, God, I have the, the, hu- I have the hugest pile. <laughs> I will big a, build a pile, and it will be the biggest and the best pile. <laughs> we can we can make our, our piles fight each other like Pokemon. And I will make my pile great again. <laughs> Going to take several piles to make one of those. Uh, yeah, I know. I really want to finish Breath of the Wild, and I really want to play a lot more Persona 5. Um, and now I have Cosmic Star Heroine. Well, uh, at, at least Cosmic Star Heroine is a, it's a pretty brisk RPG. It is pretty brisk. Um... So I just need to find some time to actually like put more time into it, huh? There you go. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Nadia, um, Acts of Blood God has been a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere podcasts are sold. Uh, follow us on social media, the uh, underscore catbot for me, um, at Nadia Oxford. And you can also find Robert Boyd on the Twitter machine, at WhereZombie. Um, and, uh, you know, like, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. It increases our visibility and it makes the blood God happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The blood God really likes it when you, uh, leave a review, especially a positive review. <laughs> and by you... blood God, I mean me. Yeah. If you have to leave a bad review, I guess you got to do what you got to do, but it is the happy reviews that keep us all from dying. 
Yeah, no, I mean, we record this thing every week. We're editing it. I mean, oi. <laughs> you sound like my grandmother. Oy. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we're almost done with the Persona 4 Golden Report. Yeah. Um, it's almost May. Like, we're, like, cruising right along. Next thing you know, it's going to be, like, halfway through the year. I, I don't even... I don't even know where this year is going. Yeah, it's just all disappearing into a big black void, and God, we're, we're barreling straight towards E3. Don't even say things like that. <laughs> E3 is a bad word right now. We're not going to say it. But you know what I want to do during E3? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind doing a live Acts of the Blood God. That would be great. I think a lot of people would appreciate that. I think we'd all have a fun time. I'm sure that we would have plenty to talk about RPG-wise. Yeah, maybe we could, like, if we'd we have to fill have up... better have plenty to talk about Yeah, RPG-wise. no kidding. If we need I don't to know, fill maybe in they'll time. finally fi- show some more of the Final Fantasy VII uh, remake. I think, yeah, I think this is going to be a, a good year for the uh, the Final Fantasy VII remake, but I'm probably I don't. being too helpful, too hopeful. I'm very skeptical now. Well, if you we... realize it's been two years, oh god, are you, you're right. Holy crap! Oh my, it's lord. been two years, and the first episode isn't out yet. Uh, I'm gonna just it's way make, too long. Make groaning noises for the next hour. But, you know, like, so there aren't a ton of games coming out, RPGs coming out in the near future. I mean, we have Shadows of Valencia next week or next month. Monthly, sorry. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously we'll cover that. But uh, I think this is a good opportunity for some more evergreen features, I suppose, on this podcast. Um, yeah. Tackling some of the broader aspects of um, RPG design. So if you have any good ideas on, like, what you would like to see that, in that regard, send me an email at usgamer at usgamer.net or, you know, tweet me at the underscore catbot. Uh, oh, and make sure to like us on Facebook. Just, you know, give us over, give over your identity to all of us <laughs> on the social medias. It's worth it. I promise. But as usual, we'll be back next week. But until then, I've been Cat Bailey and for Nadia myself and also Robert Boyd. Thanks for being on the show. We'll be back next time. And until then, happy adventuring. Happy adventuring.